I invite you to remain standing as we read this morning's scripture. Our reading is from Luke chapter 2. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then, as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Brandon Blackston. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's great to be with you. It's great to worship and to continue the celebration of Christmas. And uh, these last few weeks, our sermon series has been Surviving Christmas. We're wrapping it up this morning. And if you are here this morning, if you are hearing my voice, congratulations, you survived Christmas. How does it feel? Yeah, okay, so you're like just barely surviving. Okay, that's okay, you've got some time, but I know the feeling, we, we hit the road uh, Monday or mor- the morning of Christmas Eve and just got back last night, so we were feeling like we just survived, it was great to be with our family, but, uh, but we need a little post-Christmas recovery now, is anyone else feeling that? But it's that time after Christmas when after you've expended yourself, then there's a lot of work to do, right? You've got to um, get rid of all of the trash, find a place for all of the new things to go. You've got decorations to take down, thank you notes to write, and, and all of those things going on, Christmas lights that need to come down. So, so if you're worried about that, I, I do want to let you know that, that the reason we still have all of our Christmas decorations up is, is not just because we didn't want to bother with it. It's because the season of Christmas actually begins on Christmas Day and, and those 12 days of Christmas. Christmas we sing about. That's, that's the length of the season of Christmas. So if you want to put off putting your decorations away, you can get by until January 6th, and the tradition of the church will support you. So, so there's good news for you. If I've just enabled your spouse, I'm sorry, but, uh, but that's the way that it goes. But it's that time whenever we put everything away and, and all the Christmas time, things kind of go away. Uh, we begin to move on and, and, you know, there's kind of that interesting week between Christmas and New Year's when a lot of people take off of work and no one knows what day it is. But, you know, January 2nd is rolling around and we're going to get to a point where things go back to normal. Whenever we get back into our regular routines and, and there's going to come a point when it's going to feel like Christmas didn't really happen. And so we've been spending these last four weeks talking about surviving Christmas, about the way that we celebrate Christmas and and really don't just get through it, but actually experience fully the hope of the world that came in Christ. And and so we've been talking about those things. And now the question is, did we just celebrate everything so that we could get through December and have a good month? Or does that actually matter for the way that we live our lives the rest of the year? And, And so here's the, the correct answer that I'm hoping we'll leave with is that it really does matter. The way, that we Christmas, the way that we celebrate Christmas really does matter for the way that we live the rest of the year. And, and so that's the question today is, is how can we take that and then make it last throughout the year? How can we take what we've gained? How can we take the good news of Christ from Christmas and extend that throughout the year? So, so that's what we're uh, looking at this morning. And, and so I just want to take you back a, a little bit of where we've been the last four weeks. We've talked about ways that we can survive Christmas. We've been using a resource called the Advent Conspiracy. We talked about four ways that we can celebrate Christmas more fully. And so the first of those was worshiping fully. And we saw throughout the scriptures, whenever someone encountered the news of Christ's birth or, or in 
encountered him themselves, that, that what they did was worship. They worshiped. And so we take from their example, from examples of the shepherds, of Mary and Joseph and of others, that, that our response to Christ is, is to worship. And not just on Sunday mornings, although that's important, but to live lives of worship so that worship becomes not just something we do for an hour a week, but it becomes a way of life. And so we worship fully. We also spend less. We heard some of the statistics about, um, about the amount that people in our culture spend on Christmas, and uh, somehow the amount that they spend on gifts is, is less than the total amount that they spend during December. So it's, I guess it's a few of those like, all right, I'm buying three presents. I can add one more thing into the cart for me, right? I've never done that, but I know some people do. But we just, we buy all of these things, and this is the time of the month when credit card statements come out, and we say, okay, uh, I bought all of these things for Christmas. How am I going to pay for it? And we learned, we talked about, which all of us know, I think, but, but we were reminded that the amount that you spend on Christmas has nothing to do with how much you love the people you're buying for, and that we don't have to buy into the narrative that you have to spend a thousand or more dollars on Christmas in order to celebrate fully. And so we talked about different ways that we could celebrate. The next week, we talked about giving differently. So kind of building on the week before, we talked about how can we give in light of how God gave himself to us in Christ? How can we give differently? And three of the things that we saw in Jesus coming and of giving to, of himself to us, we saw that the gift of Jesus was relational, it was personal, and it was costly. And really, if we look at the best gifts that we've received in our lives or the best gifts that we've given, they contain elements of all of those three things. And so we give differently, not just things that are, that are big and costly financially, but that are relational, personal, and costly. And then we talked about loving all because we saw that Jesus didn't come for just the, the religious people. He didn't just come for the top shelf of society. He came for everyone. And we see that in evidence of his birth to, to parents who, who were poor, who didn't have a place to stay, and that the first people who came to visit him were not the really important people. It wasn't King Herod and, and his court. It was shepherds, people who didn't even have, who slept outside, who, who were dirty, who probably smelled bad. Maybe they didn't, but probably they did. And they were the first people who came to celebrate Christ because Jesus came for everyone, not just the rich and the mighty, but the poor and the people who are outcast. And so we were reminded that, that if we are going to celebrate that Savior, then the way that we celebrate needs to bless everyone. And so a lot of that is the reason that we take up a Christmas Eve offering, and, and you can still give to that if you'd like, and just make sure that your check or if you give online that you notate that permission. But that's the reason that that entire offering goes outside of our doors, that goes to bless the world, because we know that we worship a Savior who came to love everyone. And so we take up that offering so that we might bless everyone, especially those who need it most. And, and so that, that's all great, you know, it, it's good. And, and I think if, if you put these into practice, if you tried to live these out, that, that I believe you, you would, and I, think you, I hope you did, experience Christmas differently. That it wasn't just something you have to get through, but it was something where you could actually experience fully the hope of Christ. So what do we do now? Christmas is over, now what? Do we just continue on the way that things were? It was all that really good and we had a great month and, and now it's time to go back to everyday life? Or, or did that actually matter? Because here's the problem that we face. Once the Christmas tree goes back into the attic, most of the time life goes back to normal, right? I mean, we talk about how great everything is and, and we love the spirit of Christmas and, and why can't it be like this all year long and why can't we love everyone and, and it's better to give than receive. And, and, but, you know, the things go back to normal and we get back into old habits and, and it's just too easy whenever we put the decorations away to, to put the good news of Christ and the hope that he brings back into the box 
as well. And, and actually, that happens to us pretty quickly, and, and maybe you've experienced that, and maybe you experienced that like ar- around the tree, is that all of the goodwill toward men was a little bit short-lived in your family. We had that a few times growing up. I was never involved with my siblings. My siblings are a mess. I always had it together, but, but you know, things get messy, and, and actually, we, we've observed the day after Christmas in a few of your homes, and, and we captured this video, and so this is what a few of you may have experienced. Okay, get up. I want to lie in that beanbag. Remember when we were all sitting around the Christmas tree, opening our presents? That's when you said it. That's when I said what? It was beautiful. You said, why do we have to be nice to each other only on Christmas? Why can't we be nice to each other every day? You drive me crazy. Joy to the world. So I'm, I'm guessing there were a few parents who were, who were lifting up an exasperated joy to the world on, on Christmas Day or the day after, right? I mean, that's how it goes in our family. Oh, it's so great. Everyone's together. Everyone's so nice. And then we remember what happens whenever we all get together and like, oh, yeah, so aunt whatever starts talking about politics and she's so far left that we think she's come all the way back right. And just everything, you know, we... <laughs> We, we just fall back into old routines, and, and the joy that we experience ends up being short-lived. And, you know, the, the really sad thing that most of us experience, I know I have, is that the birth of Jesus doesn't appear to make a lasting difference in our lives, because we just go back to, to our everyday routines and, and all those great things that happened. They were wonderful, and we leave them behind. And so here's the question for us this morning. Whenever we put all of our decorations back into the box... Does Jesus go with them? If you've got a nativity scene, do you take Jesus and put him back? So, so probably keep all the pieces of the nativity together. But, but symbolically, whenever you put your nativity away, does, does Jesus go with them? Because here's why this matters. It's not about just Christmas spirit or, or all of those kinds of things or drinking Coke with a polar bear or however you celebrate. It's about the hope that comes when Jesus. It's about the light of the world coming into our lives, sharing hope with the hopeless and love to all. And that's not something that only stays with us during Christmas, but it's something that God intends with us day in and day out, 365 days a year. And that's, that's what I think each of us desires to experience. And it's what God wants to use us to share with others as well. And, and so that's the question we're asking. Can we take this? Can we take this hope, this joy, this peace and love that we experience at Christmas? And, and can we experience it and share it year-round? So we're going to look to the scriptures, we're going to look at the prophet Anna and the way that she responded to her encounter with Jesus and, and ask how that can inform us for the way that we celebrate. And, and so Anna was a prophet and, um, and she was someone who stayed at the temple. We read that scripture about her at the beginning, but, but she came and encountered Mary and Joseph whenever they brought Jesus to the temple. There were, there were certain rituals that were prescribed um, by the law. They, they would make an offering whenever a child was born and, and that was particular whenever it was the firstborn son, but they came and they, they made those offerings, and while they were there, they encountered Anna and another man, a prophet named Simeon, so this is what Luke says, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him 
to the Lord. And so they, they made those offerings, and while they were there, they met someone named Simeon. And um, he was someone who had been praying for the restoration of Jerusalem and for Israel. They'd been um, under the foot of the Roman Empire and suffered under them, and he'd been praying for God to send the Messiah that had been foretold, and, and his whole life had been looking for that. And finally, he encountered him there. He, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple that day, and he encountered Mary and Joseph, and he celebrated, and he prayed this beautiful prayer for them. Look at it. It's in, uh, it's in Luke chapter 2. It's a great bedtime prayer, um, the song of Simeon, but, but he celebrated, and he prophesied over them. And so while they were talking, a prophet named Anna approached, and Anna began uh, talking to them. The first thing that, that we learn about Anna from the scriptures is that she was very old. How would you like that to be the first thing someone told about you? They were very old. That's uh, not something that I'm looking forward to uh, being talked about about me, but, but she was very old. She, so she had been married for seven years, and then she was widowed. Her husband died, and, and she never remarried. She lived alone for the rest of that, and whenever we meet her, she was 84 years old. And so if you do the math, she lived alone and, and spent about 60 years um, praying and fasting in the temple. And, and so like Simeon, she was also someone who yearned for, for Jerusalem to have peace, to be restored, no longer to, to be under, under the rule of Rome, and as we sing in O Holy Night, for all oppression to cease. And so that, that fasting that she was doing, that praying, was probably not something celebratory, but was a kind of mourning, and it was yearning for God to act in a powerful way, for God to send the one who had been promised, and, and to send him soon. And so she spent all of her days doing that, and, and this is what Luke says, at that moment, Whenever they were talking with Simeon, Anna came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so she'd spent her, her days basically almost in mourning and crying out to God, hoping for God to restore the people. And then she met Jesus. She met the one that she'd been praying for. And her prayers were answered. She, she met the child who would become the Savior, who, who already was the Savior. She, she experienced him. And after that, she began praising God and telling everyone that she met who, who was yearning for the restoration of Jerusalem, began telling them about this child. And so for 60 years, she spent her life one way. And then she encountered Jesus. And after that, everything was different. She began doing something different because her hope had been fulfilled. Whenever she encountered Jesus, she had found the one that she'd been hoping for. And everything was different. And so the way that she lived her life, her every day was changed because of Jesus. She couldn't keep living the same way because she encountered the Savior. She'd encountered the one that she'd been hoping for for 60 years and probably before that as well. And so her life was different because she encountered Jesus. And, and so that's true for us as well. An encounter with Jesus changes the way that we live, right? I mean, that's not just something that God wants for Anna, is it? God's not just like, I, I, I sent Jesus so that this one person's life could be changed and the rest of you could have a good December and then go back to everyday life, right? Are you with me on this? Okay, just making sure. Got to make sure everyone's awake the week after Christmas. But God desires that for all of us, for all of us to have such a powerful encounter with Jesus that our whole lives are changed, that we can't go back to living the same way. But we also know that, that change is hard. We know that a changed life is difficult to sustain, right? Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? How did that go? 
I, I love this time of year personally. I love just kind of looking back and seeing, okay, where am I compared to where I was a year ago? What, what are the things that I set out to do this year? Did I do them? And, and I've got to tell you, I, I make really positive contributions to the failure rate of New Year resolutions. But I think I accomplished more than if I hadn't set any goals. But I love this time of year. I, I love doing all of those things and, and looking at what's to come, but, but it's hard. All, all of those, those habits that we try to begin, those new things that, that we try to start, they're, they're difficult to sustain. One of the ways that I found this out was through running. My wife and I began running in 2012, and uh, we got one of those couch to 5K apps that uh, told us, that beeped at us when we were supposed to start running, and then it would beep again whenever we could go back to walking, and we worked our way up to running a 5K in October of 2012, and that was exciting, and we really liked it, so we kept on running, and we ran throughout 2013, and, and then in 2014, I ran my first half marathon, and uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it, and so I decided to do another one. And I did and ran faster that time. And, and so I was excited. You know, I'd been bitten by the bug. And it was like three years I'd been running now. And, and it was going really well. And then I decided, you know what? I've, I've run 13.1. I'm going to run a full marathon. I'm going to run 26.2 miles. And so I signed up. And I paid my money so I'd have some financial incentive to, to keep on running. And, and then went and started training. And uh, it was going well. And then uh, something happened to me that happens sometimes to United Methodist pastors. I got a call from my district superintendent and found out I was moving. And uh, so that kind of threw a wrench in things because my second to last Sunday at the church I was serving was also the day of the marathon. I thought maybe that was not a good day to skip. So, so I skipped the marathon instead and, and I didn't run my first marathon. Okay, well, I, you know, I thought not, not to be deterred, I'll just run another one. So I signed up for another one in the spring, and that one came, and, you know, spring's just kind of busy, and uh, so, so I didn't run quite as much as I needed to, and it kind of came to the point whenever it was clear, like, okay, I, I could try to run this race, but I'm going to end up in the medical tent if I do, so, so I didn't, and uh, I signed up for another one, and uh, this time, you know, I, I'd signed up for, for one and not finished. That's, uh, that's my marathon bib for the second marathon I did not run, and uh, those letters D and S mean did not start. That's not a good thing if your goal is to finish. You have to start first. But I wrote that on there and I put it up on my wall next to my treadmill so I'd have motivation, right? Past failure was going to motivate future success. And I don't really remember what happened that time. But, but suffice it to say, if I were to get a marathon bib for next year's marathon, it would still say first time marathoner on it. And uh, hey, here's the good news, though it would be really difficult for me to run fewer miles in 2019 than I did in 2018. So things are looking up. <laughs> but, you know, I had years of momentum going. I, I started running in 2012 and, and really did well throughout 2015. And, and then just things happened. And, and I got back to old habits of sitting around and not running. And, and, you know, some of the reasons were okay. And some of them were, frankly, not very good. And I guess they would fall under excuses. But the bottom line was, even with those years of momentum, it was still difficult for me to maintain that change. And, and I know that's true for you. If you've ever tried to make a significant change in your life, it, it's difficult to sustain that. If you've ever tried to, to go exercise, that's why if you go exercise for the next few weeks, it's going to be miserable. But then, you know, mid-February, it's going to be fine again. And if you've ever tried to change your diet, that's really difficult. And, you know, if you've ever tried to go through, if you've ever been through recovery, if you've ever attempted to, to get sober, you know that that's, that's excruciating work, that it's difficult. Any significant change that we try to make is difficult. 
And you know, it's true with our spiritual life as well. We sometimes have these important changes we want to make. We have these mountaintop moments, you know, for a lot of us whenever we're growing up. If you grew up in the church, that happened at church camp. And you have this powerful experience. You just know that whenever you get back, you're not going to live the same way because God has touched your heart. And and then you get back and, you know, it's it's just difficult because you've experienced this change, but no one else has. And so your environment's the same and it's just so easy to go back to the way things were. Maybe you've been on a mission trip, and, you know, a lot of our our people who go on international mission trips on a living water trip to Central America just experience a a level of poverty that you simply can't see in the United States. And and it's difficult to to go and to experience that and to see how little people have and and then come back to the excess that we all have. This is a picture one of our um, recent groups took of two boys, one of them you can barely see in the waterfall. They're, They're not playing. That's where they bathe. That's their shower. And so it's difficult to see that and then to come back to, I don't know about you, but whenever I moved into my new house, I got some really nice tile work in my new shower. And it's just, you know, the contrast is difficult. I knew a youth who went on a mission trip to, to another country and, and was just struck by how, how different things were and how little the people had and, and had a really hard time whenever she came back and kind of was dealing with how much she and her family had and, and uh, that her family could take these long showers and, and the people that she had been serving didn't even have running water. Well, she decided that her family was going to live differently, not just she, but her entire family. So she started camping out outside the bathroom door with a timer whenever anyone else got in the shower. And at five minutes, she would start banging on the door and say, hey, you're wasting water. It's time to get out. Now, that's not the way that I would recommend living your changed life. Um, but it's the kind of thing that we experience, you know, the, this dissonance and, and this desire to live differently. It's, it's difficult to sustain. And I, I haven't kept up with her. She would be out of college by now, but, but I, do you think she's still knocking on doors whenever people shower? Probably not. Maybe she's found a more positive way to channel that, but, but probably she's just gone back to, to the way of regular living, to the way things were before their trip. If she's anything like me, she has. Because that kind of change is difficult to sustain. We, we desire it. You know, we want to have that experience like Anna has and experience Christ and, and see him in person and have our hope fulfilled and then just live totally differently. And, and yet it's difficult. That's difficult to sustain. And, and so one of the things we know is that to remain faithful, we need to recommit regularly. Whenever we decide something is important, whenever we make a commitment to something or someone, we can't just say, yeah, I decided that a long time ago, and and that commitment that I made a while back is going to carry me through. Is that how it works in in marriage? No, of course not. Courtney and I got married um, eight and a half years ago. We were really excited about it. And uh, we even, for a photo op, pretended to sign our marriage license. We'd actually signed it a few days before at the courthouse, but, you know, you don't think about that whenever you look at our amazing photos. <laughs> but somewhere in a filing cabinet, we have this piece of paper that, that we signed and, and said that we wanted to be married. And, and do you know how much help that piece of paper is whenever we're living together today? Like, none. It, it, if I get audited and I have to prove that I'm married, it'll come in really handy because I, I, we file jointly. But aside from that, like, it doesn't do anything. I, I made a commitment on that day, and, and legally in the eyes of the state, I was married, and, and we said I do, but, but that doesn't carry us through eight years later. We have to make that decision again day after day. Every day we have to decide, yes, I still do, and I'm going to live in a way that, that bears that out. If she asks for help and I tell her, what do you want from me? I signed the piece of paper. How do you think that's going to go? 
I'm going to be calling someone on the front row and say, hey, you got a couch I can sleep on? And I would deserve it. Because we have to continue to make those commitments day after day. Once doesn't cut it. Once doesn't carry us through. We have to continue to make those commitments. We know that that's true in our spiritual life as well. That just because we decide one day that we're going to be baptized, we're going to follow Christ, we're going to say yes to him, that's, that's important. That, that's a vital step in our faith life. But it's not the end. We have to continue to recommit, and God knows this. And so throughout the Bible, we see God gave the people instructions to recommit themselves, and particularly at important moments of transition, God would invite the people to recommit themselves to the covenant that God had made with them. That God had reached out and saved them and said, yes, you are my people, I will care for you, and invited them to, to say yes again to God. We see one of those in the book of Deuteronomy, whenever the people are about to enter into the promised land, whenever they're about to leave the desert they've been wandering for 40 years, and and they're about to go into the land that would become the land of Israel, and and God gives them these instructions that they were to gather everyone, men, women, and children, and, and even aliens residing in their town so that they could hear the law and learn to fear the Lord their God, and to observe diligently all the words of this law so that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord their God as long as they live in the land that they're crossing over the Jordan to possess. God knew that that making a a covenant 40 years ago at Mount Sinai in the desert wasn't going to cut it whenever they crossed the river. They needed to hear it again and recommit themselves to it. And and we need those reminders. We we need to recommit to that in in our spiritual life and and anything that we commit to and, and intend to follow through on that commitment. We actually practice that here whenever we baptize people, whenever we welcome people into membership. The, the person who's being baptized or, or their parents, if it's a child who can't answer for themselves or, or if they're joining the church, they're asked to, to make certain vows. They're asked if they, um, if they repent of their sin, if they reject the forces of sin and evil, if they accept God's power to, um, and to God's power and freedom to reject those things, and then if they confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And after the person who's joining or being baptized is asked that, then all of us are given the opportunity. We're asked, do you reaffirm your commitment to reject sin, to, to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? And if we read the yellow thing that's on the screen, we say we do. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes, you know, I just read what's up there, and I'm mostly focused on reading the words correctly. We have the opportunity every time we do that to recommit our lives to Christ, to say yes to him. Yes, I still reject sin and evil. Yes, I still accept you as my Lord and Savior. And then when we make a covenant with, with one another, we renew that covenant as members together with you in this body of, the, of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church. We renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church. We have the opportunity to renew that covenant every time someone joins and becomes part of our covenant family. Because we know that just because we said that once doesn't mean that we're going to continue to be faithful throughout our days. That we need regular reminders of the commitment that we've made. And we need to say, yes, I still believe that. Yes, I still intend to fulfill that. And next week, we'll have the opportunity to do that for Baptism Sunday. To say once again, yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to continue to follow you. And if you've never made that commitment, you have that opportunity to be baptized. But we need that. We need those reminders. We need to recommit because momentum will cut it. 
this has been something that's been important throughout our history, and it's something that uh, was important to the early Methodist movement. Um, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, um, held in 1755 a covenant renewal service. I think around 1,800 people were there, and it was such a powerful experience for all who, invo- who were involved that they began doing it annually. And the tradition arose so that they would do that on either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, and it was a way of, of whenever a new year began of recommitting themselves to God, of renewing their covenant with God, and remembering what God had done for them and the intention that they had to continue to follow Christ. And so he gave them five steps, uh, a five-step process, and I'll just share that with you quickly. But, but the first one was set apart some time more than once to be spent in secret before the Lord. Well, whenever he talks about spending time in secret, he's, ta- he's referring to Matthew chapter 6, talking about just spending time in private prayer with God, spending time alone with God like Megan was talking about. But, you know, it's, it's one of the difficult things that, that we find is that our schedules get so busy that sometimes the important things, like setting aside time to talk with God, to assess where we are in our spiritual life, wh- where are things that we want to celebrate, what are things that, that we need to stop doing, where is God calling us to grow, we, we just don't do that. We, we don't have that time. No one forces us to do that. And so unless we create time, unless we set time apart to do that, it doesn't happen. And so the first step is just setting time apart to pray, to, to assess where you are, to, to confess where you've fallen short, to celebrate what God is doing, but to spend time with God and, and assess where you are. The second is compose your spirits into the most serious frame possible. You know, you've really got to admire the way that 18th century people wrote the most serious frame possible. So it's kind of funny to read today, but, but I think it's important because whenever we're making a commitment like this, whenever we're renewing a commitment on this, it's not something that should be entered into lightly. You know, if, if I had a couple who came into my office and wanted to talk to me about asking me to officiate their marriage and said, you know, we don't really have anything better going, so we figured, what the heck? What do you think I would say? I'd say, yes, let's, let's go into the chapel. No, I would say, I'm not marrying you. This is too important a covenant for you just to enter into just because. And so for us to recommit ourselves to Christ, for us to renew that covenant, just to go through it and kind of float through because, you know, the pastor said to, and it's on the sermon notes, so I guess we have to. It's not a good reason. This commitment that we make is serious. It involves our whole lives, and it's important for us to enter into it in a serious way, to recognize the gravity of what God has done for us, but also what God is calling us to. The third step is to grab hold of God's covenant. And this is important because a lot of times whenever we talk about New Year's resolutions, we talk about what we can do. We talk about our power and and our effort and, and our actions. This reminds us that God is the one who does the most important actions in our relationship with him. That God is the one who made it possible for us even to accept his offer of grace. That God is the one who's unilaterally restored that relationship. And all that we have to do, God's reaching out a hand and all we have to do is grab hold. That's all that's required of us. It, it's not our power that restores that relationship. It's not our power that creates the covenant. It's God's power. And so we remember that God's the one who does that and not us. And, and that's a relief too because whenever it gets hard, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. God's the one who's done the heavy lifting. Fourth is resolving to be faithful, is, is recognizing that this covenant demands something of us, that God desires all of us, that God desires our best. And, uh, and it's important because entering into a covenant we don't intend to keep is really disingenuous. And, uh, and it's important for us to recognize up front 
that it's difficult, that sometimes it's exciting and, and we're excited about what God is doing and, and sometimes it's dry and, and what God asks of us is difficult and it's not easy. And so we have to resolve out front that we're going to be faithful ahead of time because we know that this is true in, in marriage covenants as well, right? I mean, sometimes it's exciting whenever you're newlyweds, everything is fun and new and, and you know, then, then whenever someone gets sick for the first time, you realize in sickness and in health sounded good, but they're kind of a pain whenever they're sick. Or sometimes it's worse. Sometimes they're going through something that, that's really demanding going, or diagnosed with a chronic illness. And then we realize that, that showing up, that being faithful is a lot harder than it was whenever everyone was well and healthy. Or, or we talk about for richer, for poorer. And, uh, you know, whenever things get really tight, that's not a fun one to keep either. Sometimes whenever you get a lot, it's not fun either because you have different visions for how your now growing resources should be apportioned. But it's difficult, and we recognize that ahead of time and resolve that, yes, I know that this is going to be difficult, but with the power that God has given me, I'm going to be faithful. And so the last one, maybe my favorite, at some convenient time set apart for the purpose, get to work. And so it's great for us to talk about this in worship. It's great for us to, to go through and, and spend time in prayer. And then God says, okay, get to work. That thing that you've been praying about, keep praying, but also do it, right? Take a step. Don't just ask me to do something for you that you can do for yourself. Actually live out the covenant. Live faithfully. This, this life that, that you want to live, this changed life because of your encounter with Christ, actually start living it this joy, this hope that you've experienced, live it out in everything that you do. Get to work. And this life that Christ offers to us really is possible, and yet it requires something of us. It requires us to renew the covenant that God has made with us and to remember it. So I want to give you a few action steps, a way that you can live this out. And uh, you may say, you just gave me five action steps. And I'll say, yeah, they're, they're also included in number one. Um, so um, I'm trying to sneak a few in without you noticing. But the first one is to set aside time this week to pray, reflect, and commit yourself to Jesus. Maybe that's something that you've done before and, and you're recommitting yourself. Maybe you've never done that, but set aside time like we talked about in step one of the covenant renewal service. Uh, of setting aside time that you're just going to spend with God and, and say, okay, where are we, God? Where, where have we gone in the last year? What are you doing? What are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to leave behind? Set, set that time. Put it on your calendar and make it happen. And then as a result of that time of reflection, I want you to choose one specific way that you'll live differently in 2019, one specific way that, that you'll work to grow in faithfulness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted like, whenever I, I have those kinds of conversations, whenever I do that kind of reflection, like, okay, I need to change pretty much everything. And then uh, the list is like this long and, and you get so overwhelmed with the length of your list that you end up doing none of it. Has anyone ever been there? And so choose one thing. There may be multiple areas where you want to grow and that doesn't mean it's the only thing you can do, but focus on one. And so maybe that's just doing what, what Miss Megan talked about in the children's moment is just resolve, I'm going to spend one minute a day in time alone with God. I'm going to really commit to that this year. Maybe it's I'm, I'm going to get serious about worship. I'm, I'm going to be in worship every week, and if I'm out of town, I'm going to find a place where I can worship because I want to make that a priority. 
Maybe it's finding ways to serve, either inside the church or in the community. I'm going to serve once a week in, in this way so that I can bless people, so that I can love all. The, the, the options are, are limitless, but, but choose one. And pray and reflect and ask God how God would have you to live more faithfully and, and do that and focus on one of those ways. Then I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me this week, and it's called the Wesley Covenant Prayer. Some of you may have heard it, heard it before. It begins, I'm no longer my own, but yours. And it's a prayer that's been powerful in my life. I think it will be in yours, but, but I want to invite you. You're going to receive one of these cards whenever you come forward at communion, and uh, I invite you to take this and, uh, and just pray it every morning this week. The first thing you do, and so maybe that means uh, charging your phone somewhere else besides next to your bed and, and putting this card there so it's the first thing you reach for, but, but pray this prayer first thing in the morning, and it's a way of recommitting yourself each day, and, and it's a powerful prayer, and I, I really believe if we all pray this together that, that God might do something powerful through it, and so I want to invite you to join me in that prayer prayer. Whenever we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the coming of Christ to us, the God incarnate coming to us to live with us and be with us so that we would not be alone, so, so that we would not be far from God, but so that we could be restored in relationship to him. And he came not just to, to give us a really great, great celebration for one month, but that we could have life abundant, life abundant, a life that is not defined by how much we have or what our status is, or, or even our relationships with others, but that is defined only by God's abundant grace and love. And he wants us to have that, all of us. And yet it, it requires us to say, yes, I, I still want that offer. You've offered that to me, and yes, that's still the way I want to live my life. I think it's the best way you can live your life, but it's not easy. We have to go against the stream, and, and whatever change God has changed inside of us, frequently the environment will be the same. Whenever we recommit ourselves to Christ, whenever we say, yes, you're my Lord, yes, this is the way that I want to live, God says, here, come with me, take my hand, and I will give you life. And that's what God offers to all of us. So as we move into a, a new year, that's my prayer for all of us, is that we would experience that fully, that we experience his love throughout the year and not just during December. So I want to invite you um, to join me as we pray together. This is the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, and I just want to invite you to, to commit yourself to Christ, to offer yourself to him. Let's pray together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, a wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you've come to us and that you're still present here today with us. And the hope and the joy that Jesus brings is not something that can be put away that you offer to us every day. So God, help us to receive that offer. Help us to live the life that you open up to us. And God, even whenever it's hard, help us to be faithful because it's not by our strength, but by yours. So God, give us the strength Give us the grace to follow you into life abundant. 
We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and pray now the prayer that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.